0: And in that answer to that question, he tells what some people believe are three parables. That's what we're going to hold to this morning. Some believe there are actually two parables, a, uh, a, a parable of, uh, they put the parable of the lost sheep and the coin together, and then they put the parable of the lost son, or you would know it as the prodigal son, as a, as a separate parable. Uh, some people see them as four. They see it as the parable of the sheep, the coin, the two brothers, and the father. However you divide it up, it really doesn't make any difference. We're going to look at them all today, or all in the course of of four weeks. Last week, we talked about the idea of the sheep, and this week, we're going to talk about the parable of the coin. So, let's read the passage, make sure we've got a good understanding of it, and then we'll dive into it and see what we can learn. Uh, Verse 1, this sets the scene. It says, the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomed sinners and eats with them. In the culture of the Pharisees, what you have to understand is that they, were, they, they liked Jesus because he taught the Old Testament and he knew the Old Testament. What they, what they struggled with was the way, he, the way he lived his life. That was the struggle for them. So in their world, what happened was they, they could not justify the idea that he was a man of God or a teacher of God, and yet he hung with the people he hung with. Because in their world, that contaminated the message. And so in their world, they had earlier come to the disciples and said, why is it that you eat with sinners and publicans? Now they're getting more specific. They're looking at Jesus and saying, why do you do it? And we talked about last week the idea of Jesus responds with the parable of the lost sheep. And that's what verses uh, 3 through 7 talk about. Verse 8, he does the second parable, the parable of the lost coin. And here's what he says. Suppose a woman, now again, last week, remember I said the Pharisees didn't have anything to do with shepherds? Well, guess what other group they didn't have anything to do with? Women. So it's very significant. He chooses these stories carefully. And he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, Jesus comes back with this story about this woman who loses the coin. So let's make sure we understand it. The coin's. We're not sure what they are. There are two realms of thought here. One is that it was a simple coin of the day. In this particular day and age, the coin that would have been talked about would have been a coin that represented a day's wage. So in this culture, about 15 cents to a quarter was a day's wage. So in that culture, what that would have been was by, by saying, if you look at it from the perspective of this was a normal coin, what we're saying is This woman's life savings, if you will, consisted of 10 days labor. Was all she had saved. She had saved 10 days worth of labor. So whatever your paycheck is for 10 working days, that was the accumulation of her entire life. That's all she had managed to save. And in the course of that, it was represented by 10 coins, and she had lost one of them. So there's that idea. There is another idea that these were 10 very, very special, unique coins. In this culture, there was also the concept of when you got ready to get married, uh, there was a headdress that often women would wear, and it involved 10 coins. And so the idea, and and that, that, that headdress was unique because... It, it represented everything that a woman brought to the marriage. Uh, that was her investment, if you will, in the marriage monetarily. And those 10 coins were considered very, very precious. And in that culture, in fact, the culture said that if the couple had, had indebtedness and somebody came to and said, you have to pay all your debts and go bankrupt, the, the 10 coins that were part of the marriage ceremony were not to be touched. So even, even they could not be collected against. They, they had that kind of um, uh, impetus in, in, in their world. Our modern-day parallel would be if you have a diamond ring, ladies, when you got married or you got engaged and it has a number of stones on it, and one of the settings got loose and you lost one of the diamonds. That would be our modern-day analogy, if you would. It represents something that's incredibly valuable, and it represents the marriage and all those kinds of things. And so to lose one is, is a big deal. So we don't know. We don't know whether it was 10 days wage, whether it was part of the wedding thing. It doesn't matter. The idea is that whatever it was had unique value to this woman. And it says she's got the 10 coins and she loses one. And then what does she do? She lights the lamp. Remember, in this culture, houses are not like the houses you and I live in. They don't have thermal pane windows and all that kind of In fact, there are very few windows in these houses. Because of the climate, because of the culture, um, a window let in light and heat. And in a high temperature area like they were, you wanted things cold and dark. Um, I would have loved to live in this time. Now, my wife looks at me and says, you know, if she's, she, can, she said, you know, my kids say the same thing. You know, Dad, you would live in a cave if you could. Because I don't like, my eyes get sensitive to a lot of light. So I, um, <laughs> until I moved in the country, you're not going to believe, until I moved in the country, the first thing I did when I came home was pull every shade in the house. Uh, that, that was the world that I lived in. Uh, that's the way you, you lived. And I, I love it cold and dark. And my wife's like, you know, you're, you're like a bat um at times so i would have loved this culture but in this culture that's what happened you would have a lot of walls it would be cold they would would try to keep it as cool as they could especially in the heat of the day no windows because that would let in the 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 hot eastern wind as it would blow through and it would let in light which would heat up the room so you know they're kind of like caves kind of thing and so there wasn't a lot of light in the house, so she would light a light so she could see. And again, that was, that was it cost you to do that, because you had to buy oil. And again, we get the impression that this is a peasant lady. This is not a lady who has a lot anyway. So she's lighting a thing, and it says, notice what it goes on to say. She sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. Uh, the floor would have been either cobblestone or most, more probably, dirt, uh, sometimes to keep the dust down, they would throw down straw or bulrushes, kind of like uh, what you would do in your in your barn area, where you'd throw that down, just kind of keep the, the thing down. So it's the idea that she would have moved all of that stuff out. She would have carefully swept the floor until she finds that coin. And when she finds it, what does she do? She does the same thing the, sh- the shepherd guy did. You run, you grab all your friends, you tell them you found it, everybody's all excited, you throw a great big party, and everybody's happy. And then Jesus adds at the end of the parable this idea. He said, in the same way, I tell you, they rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the world of the Pharisees, you have to understand, they had this mentality that said, God loves the Jews. Everybody who's not a Jew is the enemy of the Jews. So when somebody died that was not a Jew... They were excited, not because, not because they, they, they gloried in the death of somebody, but in the idea that God's enemies were one, there's one fewer of God's enemies. That was the concept of the time. So the concept was they were the enemies, and when they die, that's a good thing because our God won. Our God's getting stronger, and their God's, and, and they're getting weaker. So in their world, there was that mindset. So Jesus adds this little thing when he says, I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of angels uh, over one sinner who repents. And so this was a revolutionary concept to the Pharisees, and we'll we'll get into that in in a second. So that's kind of the the, the story in a nutshell. A couple of takeaways real quick. Uh, One of the ideas that you find in this story is when it was lost, it was out of place. You get that? When the coin was lost, if she had it in a bag, then it wasn't in a bag. It was not where it belonged. It was out of place. If it was the headdress thing, it was gone. If it was your ring thing, it was out of the setting. It was out of place. So that's one of the principles you see in this story, is that it's out of place. When does it get back in place? When you find it. You can talk. Uh, when you find it, all right, then it gets back into its place when it is found. What's Jesus teaching here? There, there's a principle here. Go back to the Garden of Eden. When God created man, why did he create man? For fellowship. Sin comes into the picture, Mars the fellowship. What happens? Now man's out of place. Now man is not with God. He is away from God. He is running from God. He is separated from God. And so Jesus is teaching this idea, again, to the Pharisees. The answer to the question, Pharisees, that that coin is out of place until it's found and then put back in its place. In the same way, people who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus are out of place until they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Then they're back in fellowship with God. They're back in place again. You get it? It also has the idea that when that coin is lost, it's out of service it has no value to them at that point because it can't be used either as part of the headdress, as part of your wedding ring, as part of um, the, the idea of your savings. You can't use it then. And in the same way, when sin came into the picture in the Garden of Eden, it took us out of th- service, out of fellowship with God. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ then, what happens? Now that we're found, now we have our faith and trust in Christ, God can use us. Whether we're old or whether we're playing Little League Baseball, God can use us. God can allow us to be a light and a testimony wherever he has us. Okay, And that, that's the point. When it's found, it, it, it can go back into service again now. And in the same way, that's what God, that's what Christ here is trying to teach, teach them. He's also teaching this, and this is something the Pharisees have struggled with. In the Pharisees' mind, God was way up there. And in order to get God's approval, you had to do a whole bunch of things, right? In order to get God's attention, you had to obey the law, and you had to do this, and you had to do this, and you had to do this, and you had to do this. this. Then God paid attention to you, and God blessed you. That was their concept. That was the worldview that they had. What's Jesus teaching here? He's teaching the idea that what does God do? God desires to get close to us. So much so that, he sweep, that she sweeps everything, does everything she can to find it. That would have been a revolutionary to a Pharisee. And what's ironic to me is the Pharisees should have known that. Why? What happens? Go back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, when man sins, what does man do? He hides. What does God do? Comes looking for him. God comes looking for him. And when he finds him, what does he say? You know, God said, where are you? He said, well, I was naked. God said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, back up the train. Who told you you were naked? How do you have that knowledge down? Did you eat of the tree? Yeah. Oh, that's how you have that knowledge. But God is the one who sought them. And so Jesus is t- teaching these guys that, look, God genuinely cares for you. And God genuinely cares for the sinners and the publicans that I'm meeting with. And God genuinely cares, just like a shepherd does for a sheep. And God genuinely cares, like a peasant woman does when she loses a coin. In the same way, God cares. And so for these guys, I mean, that would have been a, you know, that, that, that was, that was a, a, a tough concept for them to wrestle with. So that's what you have in the story. Those those a couple. So let's talk about how we apply it. A couple things. First of all, first lesson for us today is this. She lost the coin because she was careless. At some point now, I give her credit because A, she recognized that she lost it and B, she knew where she lost it. Okay? So it, it tells me she had some amount of care, concern, check system, or whatever else for making sure she had the, these coins. But why ultimately, she loses it because she gets careless. Right? Ultimately, that's what causes her to lose this coin, is that in the course of the day and going through her routine, this thing gets dropped. And it's not like, it's not like one of those things where it says, she dropped the coin and then picked it up. No, she had to go sweep and look for it. Um, it might be an age thing now, but are you at the point that this kind of stuff happens? Um, I, had this, I had this a couple of weeks ago with my kids. I, this summer, or this winter, I ordered, I was going to replace the brakes on my van and the transmission uh, fluid on my, my car. So I ordered it online. I was sitting there at my, in my sofa one night and ordered it online. Uh, and so it came in, I had it sitting, I could tell you exactly where it sat. It sat on, in, in the corner above the dog kennel in the garage. And then I moved it over to the, the workbench in the garage. And then one day I thought, you know, why don't I take it out to the shed where I work on the cars? And I took it out to the shed. And then I went to change the transmission fluid on the car. And I looked everywhere. I looked in the basement. I tore the garage apart. I tore the shed apart. I blamed Josh for taking it. I you know, I told him, I said, You had your car in here, and you got thrown in one of your boxes. Let's go through. I went through all his boxes of his car stuff, couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. I next day got up, looked all over for it, couldn't find it. So, went into town, ordered another transmission filter, got it home, changed transmission fluid. A week or two ago, I'm in the shed. I go up to get a part, and there, sitting up on the shelf, right there, is the transmission filter and the brake pads. And I'm thinking, yeah, it was. I know. I still say you. I still say it was in this box, and he put it back. But okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have to be wrong. Uh, but you know, I mean, I, that, the thing is, at some point. I, I got careless about what, you know, I know what I should have done with it. I have a metal cabinet that has all my car stuff in it, and it should have gone in there. But the bottom line, it was carelessness. And, and I think that's one of the lessons you see here. I think it's one of the things that keeps people away from God, is carelessness. They look, at, they look at this whole God thing, and they're like, you know what, I just don't think it matters. I just don't think it's that big of an idea. You know, and, and you've, you've heard it, I hear it. When you talk to people about God, what do they say? Things like this. You know, look, as long as you're sincere. You can kind of believe whatever you want. As long as you're really sincere and genuine, then that's okay. And I I have to step back and go, wait a minute. You don't live any other area in your life that way. Why, when you want to talk about spiritual things, it's okay to live that way? That doesn't make sense to me. See, look, you can be as sincere and, and genuinely believe that you should drive on the left side of the road. You can be as sincere, but you don't get in your car and go, look, I'm driving on the left side of the road because I think that's the way it should be, and my belief system's okay, and I'm really sincere about it. Because I I, I think the Europeans have it right. And you can look at it and go, you know, I'm genuinely sincere about that. One, two things are going to happen. The reality is going to prove to you that when you have an accident, that you can't drive on the left side of the road, or a police officer is going to pull you over and explain to you the law says differently than what you believe or your sincerity. And in the same way, you know what? You can say whatever you want, but the truth of the matter is, when we take our last breath and our heart beats for the last time, it's going to be the laws of God that we are held accountable to. It's going to be the Word of God that sets a standard. Your belief. There used to be, remember years ago? Some of you are old enough to remember this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know what? It sounds cute, but it's poor theology. Here's why. God said it. That settles it. It really doesn't matter what you believe. It really doesn't matter. Why? If God said it, that's it. Done deal. If you believe it, great. But the bottom line is you're going to be held to the standard because God said it and that settled it. And, and my, my challenge to you is, for those of you who say, you know what, really for you to be honest to, to yourself and say, you know what, maybe I do need to take a good hard look at this whole spiritual thing. This life after death thing. This, 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 this Christianity thing. Maybe I need to be honest with myself and really examine it for myself. Instead of just saying, I can believe whatever I believe. Because no other area in your life works that way. You have Guidelines and rules and standards and principles that you apply. I mean, can you imagine getting on a baseball field? Can you imagine looking at two teams on a baseball thing and say, okay, look, whatever you believe, you just go out and play that way. We, we have a term for that. It's called T-ball. <laughs> and those kids hit that ball, and they run every which way. Because you have to explain to them what? You go, you go that way. See the base? See the person standing there waving? Run to them. And what are the kids doing? They're out there playing in the dirt. They're out there doing all kinds of things. And it's, a, it's a hoot to watch. you know. But you wouldn't go pay to see Chicago Cubs play that way. And I'm not. I shouldn't have used that. I'm from Chicago. All right. <laughs> They've been playing that way forever since I've been in Chicago. Uh, no. But I mean, seriously, why? Because we don't live life that way. We say, look, there's standards. There's rules. There's principles. There's things that that we have to abide by. And, and you know what? spiritual The spiritual world is no different. And God has some very... Because look, let's be honest. If, if it wasn't important for Jesus to come and die, then he wouldn't have. It was the only way. And that's why he said, I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It does make a difference. Please, don't be careless about your spiritual condition. I think a second principle is this idea of, why was she careless? Why do you become careless? For me, you know why I become careless? Because I lose my focus. I mean, at some point, she looked and realized, oh, there's only nine coins. At some point, she realized that, and so all of a sudden, when she focused on the coins again, she realized there was a loss, right? Right? You want to know why we get careless? Because we lose our focus. And all of a sudden, before we know it, we're, we're, we're down this whole path, and we go, how in the world did I get here? It's because we lost our focus along the way. And, and, and I want to change. Why are we in trouble in our country like we are right now? We've lost our focus. We've lost our focus. And we're we're struggling as a country right now. Because we've we, we we've lost our focus. Why do you get in trouble? Why do you get in trouble in your marriage? You lose your focus. You start focusing on someone else. You start focusing on your career. You start focusing on something else. You know, and I like say, you know, you know my story. I learned the hard way that if I was going to have a great marriage, you know what it was going to mean? It was going to mean I had to focus on it and work on it. it wh- what's your focus? Why is it that kids go to college, graduate four years, you look at them and say, what are you going to do? And they go, I don't know. There's no focus. There's no focus. Why is it that people get themselves in trouble in their spiritual life there's no focus, moms and dads. I can't stress this enough right now. You better better get on the same page with about your kids, and you better be focused on what 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 you're trying to accomplish. My wife and I would get once a year. We'd sit down and say, "Okay, what do we see good in our kids? What do we see we want to change in our kids?" And we take one thing every year and say, "This is our focus. This is what we're going to focus on working on. This is going to be the primary focus for us." On our yeah. You don't even want to know. We could, That's a whole other discussion. But my wife and I, and we haven't done this for a while, so don't hold me to this. But my wife and I, when we are really working hard on, on getting a lot of stuff fixed in our marriage, one of the things that we do is sit down and say, let's talk about one thing we want to work on our marriage this year to make better. One thing. Um, it's, it's about focus. It, it, it's about focus. Where, what, what do you want to accomplish in your spiritual life? See, if you don't focus on it, you become careless. How many times do I see this with parents? Where they lose the focus and they allow somebody else to set the agenda for their family. And before you know it, the kids are being more influenced by sports and school and academics and extracurricular stuff than family. I got no problem if that's what the family chooses to do. But don't let the system choose it for you. I got no problem if you're, if you're a sports family and you sit down and say, okay, sports are going to be our thing, man. And that's, that, our family's a big sports family. Now, it's like our world our world's a computer world. But that was our focus. And there's times that my wife would have to go, woohoo, remember me? Because we would get into these computer discussions, and my wife would just, I just see her eyes glaze over. And so then Jimmy got married and now that we have a daughter-in-law we watch four eyes glaze over. And then they go do their own thing and we can do our but I mean, you know, for us that was a focus. That's what we decided to focus on. But we made a choice. And that's what I'm saying why? Because we decided to focus on it. That. And that's what I want to challenge you with. If you're not careful, you will become careless in your life and you look at work, what's more important? Your job or your testimony? Well, you tell me where your focus is, and I'll tell you what, what, the answer to that question. You know, what was more important for Nick? When in or the truth? Choice. Life's all about choices, and all about consequences of choices. It's about what you decide to focus on is important. Now I want to challenge those of you who are followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ, let me ask you something. What is, what's going to be your focus this week? Um, I'm going to say this just because this is like my pet peeve. All right? And some of you are going to get upset with me, but you'll get over it. Or you'll leave. One of the two. I don't know. I get tired of seeing, oh, no, it's Monday. Oh, no, it's Monday. Oh, yeah, there are, so many, there are so many better alternatives, aren't there? I mean, I, what does it say to us as a believer when we go out into a world and our whole world is, oh, no, I have to go to work, or, oh, no, I, can, I live for the weekends, TGIF. I would love to see somebody just for fun, but TGIS. Thank God it's Sunday. We get to worship together. You know, come on. What are we we saying to them out there? What are we saying? Listen, every day we walk into our jobs, it's an opportunity to have a ministry. It's an opportunity to be used. It's an opportunity for us to be a light. It's an opportunity for us to be a testimony. And, man, why we've got to refocus on that's what we're about. Not about the paycheck. If you're living for the paycheck, I'm here to tell you, you're going to be disappointed Because there's never going to be enough paycheck. It's got to be more than that. There's got to be something of an eternal nature to what you're doing for it to have value long term. It's all about focus. And if you're not focused, if you if you're not careful, then you're going to become careless. And those things are going to go by the wayside. And I think the the, the last thing and the last thing that I see in this passage is the idea of the solution for it was kind of simple. How did she find it? What did she do? Look at the passage. What did she do? She brings some light into it so she can see it clearer. And then what does she do? She sweeps the house. You know what that means? She got rid of some stuff. She got. No, no, she got rid of the dust so that she could see it clearer. You want to know what some of us need to do? We need to get rid of some stuff. We got some stuff that's cluttering up our life that's not helping it. And you know what? What happens? She gets things much, Once she can see things clearly, she searches carefully. But the first thing she does is bring some light into it so she can see it better. And then she sweeps up some stuff. She moves some stuff out of the way. She clears some stuff out of her life so she can see it clear. You know my story. Those of you who know my story, For me, you know what it meant? It meant quitting my job. You don't think that was scary? You don't think that was difficult? But I decided if I was really going to have the kind of marriage that I wanted to have, then I would do whatever it takes, no matter how hard it was. Why? Why? Because if you're really going to focus, then you've got you to see things clearly. And that means sometimes you're going to have to get rid of some stuff that's not helping the problem, that's really hurting it. And so for some of you, it might mean sitting down and clearing some schedule. It might mean clearing some stuff all, all, out of your finances that you need to just not focus on and not, not make a priority. Whatever it is, one of the ways that you've got to be able to focus is to get rid of some stuff, push some stuff aside. Then she could fi- see clearly to find the coin. And so there's some people that that's exactly what you have to do in your life to go. You have to look at your life and go, you know what? I'm going to be honest with myself. These are things that are not helping me. They're hurting me. They're taking up too much time. They're taking up too much money. They're taking too much effort. I need to push them aside and refocus some things. You go, yeah, that, you don't know how hard that is. No, I don't live in your shoes, but I'll say this. I've done it, been there, walked down that road, don't want to ever go down that road again. No, it was not fun. No, I don't want to sign up for it ever again, but if it's the only way to get where I have to go, then okay. Why? Because this this idea of staying focused on what God wants us to accomplish is essential. And one of the things that Jesus is showing here in this story is carelessness will keep us from God, whether we're a believer or an unbeliever. And in order to be able for God to find us and to find our lives and the things for God to use us, put us back in service, put us back in play, one of the things that has to happen for us is we've got to start looking at things a little more clearly. We've got to get some stuff out of the way so we can be what God intended for us to be. And he can use us. And he can use us in great ways, whether we're playing Little League, or whether we're running a company. He wants to use you this week, okay? So let's get a little more focused. For those of you who are not a follower of Christ, you're still looking at it, still asking questions, ask some questions. Be serious about your search for God. Because if you genuinely want to find him, I guarantee you he's looking for you and you will not miss him. You will not miss him. So I end this week with this. For those of you who are being careless about your spiritual condition, be honest with yourself and God. He's seeking you. He wants you to find the life that he offers you. For those of you who are believers, take inventory of the things you're focusing on celebrate what God is doing in your life. Let him use you this week, wherever he has you. Let's pray. Lord, guide, direct us, and use us. Thanks for, this, for your word. Thanks for the time. And Lord, it's so easy to be careless. It's so easy to miss the important things. And Lord, we get so focused on doing urgent things that the important things get pushed aside. And Lord, we don't want to do that. So, Lord, may we reframe our week this week. May we see it as an opportunity to have a ministry. May we see it as an opportunity to serve and not to be served. May we see it, Lord, as an opportunity to shine as a light in a very dark world. Guide each of us, Lord, in our our walk. And for those who have not put their faith and trust in you, Lord, may this week be a week in which they really come to be honest with themselves before you. May you work in your heart, Lord, as only you can. We thank you for the time. These things we ask in your great and precious name. Amen.